You're listening to another episode of the Zag. Eric Rousseau here. Excited to be joined by a 2015 NLC Boston fellow, Dr. Atia Martin is here. We'll catch up with her, hear about the work she's doing on the front lines of COVID support. We're continuing our series featuring alums doing that kind of inspirational work on behalf of communities and folks across the country. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get to it. All right, Atia, how would you describe morale these days on May 1st, 2020? It depends on who you ask, uh, but I think there's a consistent um, feeling of uh, anxiousness just because of the uncertainty um, uh, that COVID-19 has brought. Um, I think there's uh, some folks who have some optimism because COVID-19 has pulled the covers off of a lot of the problems we have in society um, and see it as... Uh, it, uh, as a, a kind of a double-edged sword where, you know, we have um, on the one hand, the pain and suffering that comes with COVID-19. And on the other hand, um, the opportunity for lasting, sustained change um, that addresses root causes of problems that we're facing in society. So with these root problems even more exposed than they probably should have been already, what uh, opportunities, if any, do you see about larger systemic change happening? Or are you actually kind of cynical or, or pessimistic that much is going to change in the short or medium term? So I am cautiously optimistic. Uh, okay. I am cautiously optimistic because um, uh, I think the first part, at least what the research shows and experience is um, the first part of change requires a reframing of our mindset, um, of our understanding of the actual problems. Um, and I think what we've seen with COVID-19 is our ability to do things that we have said in the past we cannot do. We've put homeless people in hotels and gotten them off the street. We have released um, uh, uh, prisoners or people who were in prison or really in jail rather, um, who were low level offenders or were close to being released. Um, and so we've done a lot of things that in the past we said we could not do. Um, and as well as surfacing the um, the racial disparities that we have in this country that, again, are a signal of larger systemic problems that are impacting everyone. It's just it's worse for people of color um, uh, because of our long history. So I, that's how I feel about it. There's a lot of opportunities, a lot of people on the ground doing amazing work um, in spite of the dysfunctions of lots of different systems, government and um, uh, even in, in our healthcare system. Um, so I'm, I'm still cautiously optimistic in spite of um, the struggle ahead and how hard it's going to be to take advantage of um, or seize the opportunity. And the one thing I was curious about is, is how do you explain what you do for a living to people that you might uh, interact with for the first time, say at a conference or if you meet someone uh, on the street or even or on a podcast like this? How do you usually explain what you Usually I say uh, that we are an alternative to traditional diversity, equity, and inclusion um, consulting and uh, professional development. We work with organizations to better understand uh, what racism is. So we use racism as our entry point, um, how it works, how it's in how it's impacting all of the employees in the organization, people of color and white people, and how it can be used, um, uh, that understanding can be used as a way to better understand the larger problems of the organization. Um, fundamentally, 
Um, we help to rehumanize organizations and we help organizations to take concrete, practical action. Um, and again, as I mentioned earlier, um, one of the patterns is that when you see uh, underestimated groups in society disproportionately bearing any burden um, in an organization or in any other context, it means that there is that is a signal that there is a larger structural systemic um, or process problem. Um, and so for us not to be afraid to pull the layers back to see how we can swim upstream to those root causes to address the those those issues that are harmful to all of us. Yeah, and some of the work you're doing is through your nonprofit. Share with folks a little bit about how you're trying to leverage that org to, to do good work right now. Yeah, so I was just talking about my, uh, on the business side, the for-profit side, our business, All Aces, Inc. Um, we also have a nonprofit, my husband and I, uh, called Next Leadership Development Corporation, and we focus on building resilience in uh, the Black community, and resilience in the sense that um, we're not just talking about how to uh, be able to withstand all of the things that folks are dealing with um, uh, at multiple levels, um, but that it's also about building the skills and the confidence and the agency to do the things we can in spite of, um, as well as being change agents uh, in our communities. Um, so right now, um, our nonprofit is deeply involved in the Boston, um, the the Bo Black Boston community response um, to COVID nineteen and filling in gaps. Yeah, it sounds like you've been able to put together a searchable tool in terms of resources that folks can seek out. What kind of things are in there, and, and how do folks find it? Yes, yeah, so uh, we noticed that a lot of the resource lists flying around um, weren't that helpful. Um, you click on a link, it brings you to a website that's very uh, confusing um, to figure out what is the resource you're supposed to be looking for. So we synthesize everything, at, try to, to add uh, some context. Um, and so that's available at next, N-E-X-T, leads, L-E-A-D-S dot org um, forward slash news. So that's where we've been keep uh, keeping that uh, resource tool that allows folks to search and we try to keep it organized for folks. Um, the other piece I think is really uh, being a part of a larger coalition um, that is called the Black Boston COVID-19 coalition that's really uh, trying to uh, leverage our um, resources, power, experience, and all of the different um, uh, people in the community who are actually um, uh, willing to and able to um, uh, help move the work forward, help hold people accountable, but also not wait for um, uh, other people to uh, do the things that need to happen in the community. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more with Dr. Martin about life in Boston and what else she's working on. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Zag. We'll be right back. And you've also had experience working with cities on public health issues and emergency preparedness. What kind of thing stood out to you in the response that Boston has had, or maybe even some of your general thoughts about responses that different cities across the country have had? Um, I would probably say um, that the thing that jumps out at me is uh, this is not new. The scale and scope of um, COVID-19 is new. Um, dealing with uh, infectious diseases and viruses is not new to this country. Um, federally, we've invested uh, billions of dollars in, in public health preparedness um, in figuring out how would we do um, 
you know, mass vaccinations and all of these other pieces, the challenge is it was too prescriptive. And so people were planning for um, these very narrowly focused things based on previous experiences we had as a, as a society, like H1N1, um, instead of kind of uh, having a, a more, um, a broader approach that better aligned with some of the projections um, uh, that folks had that we were going to, to be in this place one day and in the near term future. Um, and so that's number one is that, so there are, there is a foundation of information and approaches that we we prepared for that we didn't do, um, which includes um, just uh, uh, how we even capture information about who was being impacted, right? So breaking things down by demographics, you have to do that. That is a public health best practice. You can't address the, um, the, the impacts of an issue if you don't understand who's being impacted. Um, the second part of that I would say is um, in um, the, uh, there, there were, there just seemed to be almost a fear to take any action. Like the, it was almost as if everyone was waiting for someone else to uh, give them the answers. Um, and fundamentally, um, when it comes to emergencies, that's not the best way to approach it. There were some pockets of excellence. Um, uh, I think we all kind of started late, but I think kind of New York City, um, uh, New York State, uh, uh, did a, you know, kind of caught up and then started to be more proactive. Um, so the LA um, is another example. So there are cities that did this really well. I think in Boston, um, we we started late. Um, and I think uh, folks are still struggling to, um, to, to have basic conversations about the disproportionate impact on the Black community in Boston, which fundamentally um, has held, held back I think a lot of the um, the next steps that need to happen around um, how you focus resources and energies where there is the most impact. Um, and without being able to have a conversation because people are, I think, my assumption is that because in many cases, people are uncomfortable talking about race, mm-hmm. we're actually um, harm, harming people uh, because we're not being explicit about um, where we need to place our energy and efforts, um, as well as not partnering with community um, to be able to do this work. Government can't do it alone. Community can't do it alone. Business can't do it alone. We have to be collaborating together, but that can't happen if, um, if uh, folks are too, in, in government and in institutions are too, uh, holding things too close to the vest um, and not willing to admit that they're struggling. And, and um, we want to see them be successful because real lives are, are at stake. And speaking of real lives, in terms of your own uh, ways that you're finding to uh, take joy in your life and have some moments of, of, of peace, what kind of things have been most successful for you? Mm, that's a great question. Um, I love to laugh. I think um, laughter is an important um, uh, element of our lives that keeps us sane. So I always work that in. I always try to spend time with my family. Um, my husband and I have five children, two still at home. Uh, <laughs> so there's a lot of joy and a lot of laughter. Um, and also I love to learn. Um, and so there's a, a overlap between the um, uh, uh, me spending time learning about things um, and that are actually helpful to what I'm trying to do to support my business as well as um, the, the community, um, the nonprofit work. Um, and then the last thing I'll say is um, the work that I'm doing 
um, for my business and my nonprofit overlaps with my uh, personal um, values and um, experiences and I think strengths that I can bring to the table. So um, for me, um, heal the healing is also in the doing. Um, and so being able to channel energy into um, practical things has always been helpful for me personally. And the research aligns that um, when we are able to take action, even if we're not always successful, um, that that is an important part of a recipe to stay healthy. Listen, thanks so much for all the work you're doing. And thanks so much for coming on. And thanks everyone for listening to this episode of The Zag. Make sure to catch all our past episodes. We've dropped a lot in the last couple of weeks of other NLC alums doing amazing work across the country and communities big and small. Check those out. All the places you get your podcast, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, they're all there. So until next time, we'll catch you soon.